Hi everybody, I'm going to do something a little weird here and very spur of the moment and unedited. And I don't know if this will work or not, but, but I felt compelled to do it and it's my fucking podcast, so here we go. Let's take a crack at it. As I record this, today is April 4th, 2013, and we've just found out that we lost writer and film reviewer Roger Ebert today. I'm not sure quite how to respond to this, but I hope you will allow me a few minutes to share some thoughts about him. It's not an exaggeration to say that Roger Ebert's more responsible for driving me to do this project than any other writer, definitely more than any other movie critic. He convinced us that there's an art and a joy to thinking and talking and, and writing about movies, and he's defined the form the way that Rodney Mullen defines skateboarding, both by practically inventing it in its modern form, and uh, but also by remaining at its forefront and always being the standard by which any others could be measured. So I can say that this project owes him a, a great debt. You, you know, no, I don't think there's any question about that. Ebert said that a film is not about what it is about, but about how it is about it. And I think that puts more perspective on what we're doing here or what we're trying to do here than a hundred hours of me yammering on really could. How it is about it is the very idea that the title in the cut hopes to echo, you know, kind of faintly. His indomitable love for movies uh, shined through every review he wrote. And I think most pivotally, this is because despite watching 300 plus movies a year, he never got jaded by film and he always walked into the theater earnestly hoping that the movie he was watching would accomplish what it set out to accomplish, whether it was trying to make us laugh or frighten us, or if it was trying to artfully reveal a dark or a magnificent sliver of human nature. He was a perpetual optimist of film, I think, and a dyed-in-the-wool lover of the form. And this love... This optimism that Ebert had is why when a movie was spectacularly disappointing, you knew his review was going to be the best review <laughs> to read about it because he bothered to care about why it sucked. Here's the beginning of his review of the film Pearl Harbor from 2001, which I can and occasionally other people will attest to do recite totally from memory. <laughs> Pearl Harbor is a two-hour movie squeezed into three hours about how on December 7th, 1941, the Japanese staged a surprise attack on an American love triangle. The film has been directed without grace, vision, or originality, and although you may walk out quoting lines of dialogue, it will not be because you admire them. <laughs> and this love, this receptiveness of Ebert's is why when a movie betrayed a real like nihilism or when a movie really like artlessly reveled in human misery which movies sometimes do 
you know, he, he, he dealt with a wide spectrum of movies in his time. But when one movie like that came along, he seemed personally injured by it. And I think he reveals this in his public response to the director of a grueling film from 2005 called Chaos. When he says to the director in response to an open letter the director had posted kind of contesting his review, Ebert says in, re in return, you're in part... Your answer that the world is evil and therefore it is your responsibility to reflect it is no answer at all, but a surrender. Your real purpose in making this film, I suspect, was not to educate, but to create a scandal that would draw an audience. There's always money to be made by going further and being more shocking. Sometimes there's also art to be found in that direction, but not this time. And again, I, I, I think that that shows a personal kind of injury he felt in, in entrusting himself emotionally to a movie like this. And he, even, even in the face of a real miserable and nihilistic movie, he doesn't write it off. He, he engages it and he engages the director. And it's reflective of that love and that openness that he had for film. But I think most importantly, more importantly than how delightfully he could disassemble a movie that was just terrible in a goofy way or, or how personally he, he revealed himself to be invested in a movie when a movie hurt him like that. I think more importantly than either of those, I think this love of Ebert's is why he could still fall in love with and be swept away by a great film. And because even 5,000 fucking movies later, he never sat down in a theater seat uh, burdened by any cynicism. And that's why he could almost always elucidate the magic of a great movie. And like any great film historian, he's written lovingly and, you know, great length about the compelling films of the 40s and the 50s and these gorgeous art films and black and white masterpieces and about extraordinary directors like Bergman or Tarkovsky, who I love. Instead of quoting any of these pieces of his, let me instead read you this, something he wrote on January 30th, 2005 by way of illustrating what I mean here. Groundhog Day is a film that finds its note and purpose so precisely that its genius might not be immediately noticeable. It unfolds so inevitably, is so entertaining, so apparently effortless, that you have to stand back and slap yourself before you see how good it really is. There are a few films, and this is one of them, that burrow into our memories and become reference points when you find yourself needing the phrase this is like Groundhog Day to explain how you feel a movie has accomplished something. And so even though he'd be disappointed by or charmed or disgusted or rejuvenated by more films in any given year than most people even bother to see in their entire life he never closed himself off, never stopped looking for what was special about each one. And I often disagreed with Ebert, but really, I mean, who gives a shit? The measure of a critic is absolutely not how often you agree with them.
It's absolutely the thoughtfulness of their opinion. And it's whether reading a review of theirs where they disagree with you shrinks or broadens your perspective on the piece. And whether I loved a movie and Ebert hated it or whether he loved it and I hated it, I never, ever came away from his review with my opinion diminished. It was always enriched. And compare that to any other arbiter of modern taste, especially his peers, quote unquote, on his on, on the internet, his, his favorite medium. Famously, he took to, with great gusto, especially after losing his voice, contrast these tastemakers and reviewers on the and cynics on the internet with with Roger Ebert who refused to make you feel stupid and it, it shone so brightly in what sometimes seems like a medium that we've surrendered to cynics and trolls I could go on I could talk for an hour about how he really grew in his later years to use that same kind of razor wit that he'd always used against cheap and poor filmmaking, now turning it against cheap and poor thinking and cheap and poor politicking, uh, even as he never resorted to punditry or, or just like graceless insults. Or how he I could go on about how he insisted on never overwriting or talking above his audience. He once even declared 90% of academic film theory is bullshit. Jargon is the last refuge of the scoundrel. And I love that he said that. But instead, I'd just like to stop here by touching briefly on the way he faced his mortality. And there's an extraordinary piece in the magazine Esquire on Roger Ebert, and I'll post a link to it on the site at inthecut.org, and I'd recommend uh, you read it because uh, it was moving when I read it and uh, and revisiting it now is even a whole nother thing. And the the piece leads with a really startling but really beautiful photograph of Roger Ebert's uh, smiling face as, as it stood after he turned down further reconstructive surgery on his face and jaw after uh, cancer had ravaged it. And so I just want to read a, 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 a brief excerpt of that here. I know it is coming, and I do not fear it, because I believe there is nothing on the other side of death to fear, he writes in a journal entry. I hope to be spared as much pain as possible on the approach path. I was perfectly content before I was born, and I think death is the same state. What I am grateful for is the gift of intelligence and for life, love, wonder, and laughter. You can't say it wasn't interesting. My lifetime's memories are what I have brought home from the trip. I will require them for eternity no more than that little souvenir of the Eiffel Tower I brought home from Paris. I believe that if at the end of it all, According to our abilities, we have done something to make others a little happier and something to make ourselves a little happier. That is about the best we can do. To make others less happy is a crime. To make ourselves unhappy is where all crime starts. We must try to contribute joy to the world. 
That's true no matter what our problems, our health, our circumstances. We must try. I didn't always know this, and I'm happy I lived long enough to find it out. So thank you, Mr. Ebert, and fuck cancer, and Godspeed. We'll see you at the movies.